Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation here on Sin. This is your EP, Jesse here, and you guys just heard Lemonade by Dream Note, and before that, you guys heard Giddy by Kepler. We have almost the full APN team here with us today, with the exception of JP, who is currently frolicking in Japan. You guys will hear from Tracy, Ethan, Lee, Alicia, Alishba, Zenya, and of course, myself, about all the shenanigans we got up to this week. Uh, today's show will be very much movie-based, as us here at APN have been going through a bit of a movie-slash-TV show marathon recently. We'll be reviewing movies like Suzume and the Super Mario Bros. movie, as well as the recent installment of John Wick. But before that, we will begin with an interview with the indie pop singer and songwriter Fum Vifrit, who hails all the way from Thailand ahead of his Australia and New Zealand tour. You are listening here at Asian Pop Nation. You guys just heard Kissing Other Boys by Jackie. And before that, you guys heard Entitled by Charles, which actually reached the semi-finals of the International Songwriting Competition. Clap, clap, clap. Uh, and before that, you guys heard Knock by Lee Cheyon. And we have a very long-awaited interview with the amazing film Viparit. And he will be talking us through his music journey, his recent album, and of course... His upcoming tour across Australia and New Zealand. Hey everybody, this is Leisha and Lee from Asian Foundation on Sin. And today we are kind of having our own like full circle moment right now as we are about to chat with a certain special Thai Kiwi artist who we have personally really enjoyed like way back in their lover boy and hello anxiety days but has now evolved in their latest album titled Eventai Peace we have Pumpy Purit here hi everybody hi thanks for having me oh my gosh hello hello thank you so much for joining us here how are you doing how how's life been so far um life is good um we just came back from Taiwan and Hong Kong like the first two shows of the tour so yeah it's it's a bit a little bit overwhelming, like readjusting to that energy after not like touring professionally for like the whole COVID break thing. But yeah, overall, I'm pretty good. I'm feeling pretty mellow. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, oh, we have a lot of like bits and bobs that we're very curious about in terms of like your current tour at the moment. Okay. Um, But I think for some of our listeners that are tuning in at home, would you like to give a little like self-introduction moment for yourself? Sure thing. Um, Hi, my name is Poom. I go by the stage name of Poom Viparit. I am 27. I'm a singer-songwriter based in Bangkok, Thailand, but I grew up in Hamilton, New Zealand. And yeah, check out my music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you just mentioned that you currently started your The Grand Jai Peace Asia and Oceania tour. Yep. Um, and as the time of recording this interview, you've both performed in Taipei and Hong Kong already. Yep. Um, so how have these shows been for you so far? Um, I was really nervous going in because we hadn't really played like the full like the full set with the new songs to anybody. And yeah, it, it felt great. Everybody was very receptive and um I guess, welcoming of the new content and the new songs. And it was a really good time. If you have a check on my um social media, you can see like the vibe is really lively. So I'm just over the moon about it. I can't complain about anything. Yeah. That's so um, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, were there any like memorable moments either with your fans or like while you're visiting these cities that you could pinpoint during your tour so far? Um, yeah, like it was the first time I got a lot of time off in um Taipei, Taiwan. So we went to um a lot of night markets and just walked around a lot, which was really nice. Something you always want to do when you're traveling. And um, yeah, in Hong Kong, we went to this hot pot joint and we had some of us, not everybody, some of us tried um chicken. Can I say this on radio? Chicken testicles. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, just within the guidelines. Yeah, 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 yeah. That. yeah they offered it. They were like, Yeah, would you like to try this? And I'm like, I'm pretty game for the stuff. Like, yeah, oh, okay. Like, Interesting. That's something new. Yeah. Did you yeah. Did you like it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> it yeah, it doesn't like remind you of like what it actually is when it's in like a hot pot setting when you dip right, it. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't want to go too deep into it. Like, it was good. Like, it was just good. Don't want to let yeah. your inner like Gordon Ramsay moment out <laughs> yeah. of like flavor profile. Yeah, it was good. It was it was different, but not too weird. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> So again, like having that free time off and like being able to take the time to like wander around the cities yeah. and stuff that you're touring. And yeah. I guess along the lines of like cities touring, of course, we have to mention the fact that you will also be touring in Australia very yeah. shortly. Oh my God. And mainly fun fact, we'll be attending your Melbourne show. So we're kind of oh, peak excited. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> but how? How have you been feeling like in the lead up into like not only performing in Melbourne, as I just mentioned, but you're going to like Brisbane and Sydney for what I assume is like your first time performing yep. there? Yep, yep. I'm, I'm pretty nervous, actually. Like I've been doing this now. This is my I guess this is my fourth year of like touring in like mm -hmm. a professional sort of fashion. And yeah, I've always wondered what it would be like to like play in Australia and New Zealand. And I'm getting to do that this year. And it's very surreal, like with places I've never been before it's always impossible to like gauge what the kind of like energy is going to be like so yeah I'm excited to find out yeah, nervous a little bit yeah mm -hmm. are there yeah. like any sort of like I don't know expectations or I don't know maybe like thoughts in general you are like kind of expecting from like the Australian shows um I guess people down under like seem pretty chill from from <laughs> like from from like how I grew up in New Zealand and mm -hmm. I, I kind of get the gist of how like Aussies are <laughs> so I'm hoping it's like a like a really chill like chill vibe but also like lively and that's what mm. I'm expecting yeah <laughs> and yeah. I guess from the fans perspective what can like we expect from like your upcoming shows in Australia oh um yeah a good time I hope like we we most definitely have fun on stage all of us and our team um we're like a small touring family but mm. like we give it our all whenever we get to play anywhere so yeah a good time guaranteed it's really cute oh my gosh <laughs> and then like I guess something along the lines of like the team perhaps is kind of what I saw was interesting is that for the Australian and New Zealand show specifically you do have a supporting act um yeah, who is yeah. rice wine a Thai Australian artist you guys need to check yeah, out as well yeah. and yeah, just yeah. curious like you know how like how do you guys like know each other um I've, I've never met him Okay. but um i was um the whole thing happened when they asked like hey would you like an opener we have a few to suggest mm -hmm. and i listened them to a few and i picked rice wine mm -hmm. and i found out later that he was half thai too what are the chances and i was like yeah what? exactly yeah. i was like the coincidence yeah. is like very um very timely yeah, very yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> so i guess yeah things fall into place like that and i'm excited to hear set live as well i've never listened to it set live mm. so should be fun yeah Mm. And I guess along the train of like talking about the tours and all that stuff, um, after your shows here in Australia, you're also going to be like heading into cities that 
uh definitely might have like a very special place in your heart of course like you could be going to Auckland and yeah. your final show is going to be in Bangkok Thailand yeah. and mm. with those ones specifically what are like the sort of emotions or feelings that come up for you when you're thinking about performing in places that you may consider as like quote unquote home uh-huh um it hasn't really hit me yet but I'm sure it'll feel like a homecoming for me like it's been a long time since I last visited New Zealand last time I went was in 2015 so oh wow it'll be the first time in I guess like eight years which is crazy to think about that I haven't made the time to go back so just to be there alone will be special um and to play a show there it's like cherry on top of my life I guess <laughs> and yeah the the um the very final one in Bangkok is gonna be very special as well it's the first time I think I'm gonna take my 97 year old grandma to see because it's oh like God. it's in like a nice theater with like nice box seats so she can oh. like see me properly play for the first time That's her hearing is oh. not too great so I'm curious how she's gonna hear it but <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> I think I... it will be cool for her to be there so yeah everyone mm. in my family is gonna be there my friends so yeah that'll be special for sure yeah oh, it's really cute really sweet and you mentioned like her first time as well how did like yeah. if despite it being like the first time um like she will be seeing you like physically performing yeah. what's like her what's like her like re reception i guess to like all your like work that you've done and put out there in the world and stuff out of curiosity i never, <laughs> never really asked her directly what she thinks of my career she might be like oh i should be a dentist or something <laughs> <laughs> I hope, I, hope she's, I hope she's proud like she she she's very tech savvy for like a 97 year old she sends me messages on like line and like oh, wow. she knows how to like work that stuff so i'm sure she's seen me on like videos and stuff but yeah mm. it'll be cool it'll be like point to my grandma and she'll be there and everyone's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> i'm waiting for that moment alone from my bangkok show yeah so cute yeah. I'm sure she'll be really proud. Yeah, oh, I hope so. Yeah. So something that sort of intrigued me about this specific tour run is when we were looking at your Instagram post where you mentioned how you're starting a tour in Taipei was like going back to where it all began for me in 2017, yep. which is what you captioned. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we're just really curious about the meaning behind that statement and how did it feel like touring in a different country during the time in 2017 versus uh -huh. turning now? Um, Taiwan was the first place that booked me to play overseas. Oh. And that's basically where I met my, my, my agents, like the people who I work with to this date. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're really important for like... Um, like your career like when you if you want to travel and like do all that stuff and yeah it was really special um because back then I always thought after I graduated film school I would work in like a creative agency work in advertising or become like a copywriter like uh, music was always a very like side side hustle so far away from like my central life goal and that one trip to Taiwan it changed everything for me like um and I now do this full-time I don't know how but I still do it it's <laughs> yeah. very special yeah um if you could i guess rewind time would there be something that you would want to say to like the 2017 version of yourself um like don't be too serious about everything you know? <laughs> <laughs> as what i would say like don't stress about the things you're stressing about because like in a few months or like half a year yeah it's all gonna be irrelevant so just be in the moment enjoy what you do and the music will work for itself yeah nice like i'm like holding it to heart and but i'm like not even no nowhere close in musician level but i feel like those <laughs> words are very like yeah like, but it, i think it applies to everybody yeah right, exactly honestly, yeah yeah and like since you know you're mentioning about music and stuff you know we want to 
wanted to talk a little bit about your most recently released album since yeah. that you will also be like performing as part of your tour, the mm-hmm. Grand Jai piece. And me and Lee personally love this album. And hey, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it does kind of feel like it shows like lyrically wise, it shows like quite a shift um, from your previous works and stuff. But we, oh. of course, want to hear from the artist himself, kind of like what was your thought process behind creating the album? Um, the album basically attaches on a lot of like invisible roles that people live by, especially like people in the East. Um, Grange Eye Peace is a word that I first heard on an episode of The Big Bang Theory. It's like Sheldon's having, I guess, lunch or dinner with his friends. And then there's like a last piece of like, I guess, food. And then he's like, ah, in Thai culture, there's this thing called the Grange Eye Peace where you reserve the last piece for the most valuable or most eldest person in the group. And yeah, it was weird for me to reconnect to that word because I I grew up with this culture, obviously, but to be reintroduced through like an American TV show that's like kind of old-ish now Mm. was like, oh, okay, this is like an interesting concept that could be central in my next album. So the whole album is a lot more detached from my personal stories. It's a lot more about things I think about, um, other people's stories told through my perspective and filter. And yeah, it's not so much about my own nostalgia about things, but just what I think about current things that um, I'm feeling. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. You actually yeah. answered a question that we we're going to ask later. But... Oh, for real. Sorry. Oh, yeah. good. No, 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 no. Oh, my God. No, 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 no. No, because like, again, yeah, yeah. the you mentioned like the phrasing that mm. like Grand Jai is like a like a Thai phrasing. And then yeah. Lee specifically was like very curious about like, like, I guess taking this like phrase that's very like it means something that's very I think a lot of people who grew up in Asia or like yeah. are Asian in general really yeah. too heavily about always having mm-hmm. to like think about other people, like yeah. having consideration for like other yeah. people all the time. So uh-huh. that was like something that we were like very curious about, like taking uh, yeah, that yeah. sort of concept and making it like uh-huh. a core element of the album. Yeah. <laughs> and you just answered it. So you just read, oh, cool. read out Amazing. my... <laughs> 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 Amazing. Um, but I guess, did you have any like differences in creating this specific album versus your previous works? Or did you have like different expectations for yourself this time around? Um, honestly, I just wanted to feel like I was growing like musically and like as like a lyricist as well so I made a lot of it in this room like I, I guess like 85% of it was done in here and like produced by me and then it just went into the studio to like polish up a few things and yeah it was um it, it felt a lot more tiring because it felt like the first truly conceptual piece of work that I did with like a strong concept at the very beginning not just kind of like floating and like going single by single it was kind of like clear like this is the type of album I want to make sonically and what I wanted to say as well so it felt like overall it felt like a bigger creative effort from from my end yeah I'm proud of it yeah yeah mm. I, don't know, I was just like very curious like did it feel very like I don't know almost like liberating I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for exactly to like uh-huh. like not only again you mentioned earlier about like how this album is kind of more about like uh looks more within of like um how you feel about like society and all that stuff but also Mm -hmm. taking a piece of like your culture and then kind of like putting out that it did kind of feel a little bit like liberating almost to kind of be like I don't know (laughs) I don't know if I phrase that very nicely but I I, kind of get what you mean yeah for me it did feel liberating because I think for the longest time I felt 
very much like a third culture kid. Like I didn't really belong. Although I've been back here for like eight years now. Mm. And um, I lived in New Zealand for nine years, but I never really felt like I was like truly Kiwi. And when I moved back here, I was like, I'm Thai, but like, I feel like I don't quite belong because I guess I've moved around quite a bit. And to kind of like make this album, it it perfectly like captures how I feel about like my footing as an individual, kind of like a little bit of everything. And it's okay to feel this way. Because you know, mm. there's other people who kind of relate to it as well and have this perspective on these um social norms that we live by. So yeah, liberating is a good word. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I yeah, I'm definitely like I relate to that a lot because I'm also like a third culture kid, I guess. Yeah. But like another thing that sort of stands out to me with this album specifically is your album art. Um so since there is a sloth playing guitar in the middle of what looks like a traditional temple what inspired you to look into creating this specific artwork for this album um i found i found the artist on like instagram a couple years back and i thought his his work was dope it's like um all traditional thai temple drawings that you see at like um you know a lot of temples i'm usually using the very like traditional way but the work he was doing is that he was using like contemporary characters like um he did one poster for like a punk show so it was like traditional temple setting but with all like these punk like subculture dudes oh like, wow oh my god so um i approached them with this some um, brief that like hey i really want to work with you for my album work and like artwork for like this year and yeah i pitched them the idea of like a sloth like an oversized sloth like narrating what's going on just like passively watching but also like a part of the fabric because yeah, I guess that's how I feel about this album. It feels like I'm like I'm the narrator of things. Mm. Yeah. It's mm. so like beautiful. Like the album <laughs> work-wise. I whenever I'm like re-listening to the album, I'm just like, ooh, yes. Let me just admire the art, <laughs> like the little oh, album yeah, art a bit. Yeah, he'd, it's yeah, he'd so be so good. happy to hear that. Awesome. It's, Thank you. Thank you. It's I'll amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's beautiful. And like what you mentioned, I think it like perfectly reflects on like the themes and stuff that uh you're like talking about in the album and stuff like that. And mm. I guess speaking on the album, if a listener tuning in right now like hasn't already checked out your incredible album that they totally should listen to ASAP. <laughs> I guess from from your side, what's like a song that you personally think they should like? Take a listen to first or maybe you're just like maybe just listen from the album from the very first song on it and go from um, there but what, what do have, you think I, I definitely have a few favorites of my own on that album but like um I don't, as, if you have the patience and the time like please like try listening like through it as like a, from beginning mm. to end it's not too long like half an hour like yeah give it a go <laughs> this is for us a whole and uh not to not to also put put in my own little favorites and have like a little favorites sharing moment <laughs> with you uh-huh. as well <laughs> oh my god like the song in particular I mean I really like Grenjai like please specifically yeah. but oh, also nice. the loving and wait letting and oh god loving and letting go. <laughs> thank you thank yeah. you yeah, thank yeah. you I'm all but those two Oh my peak favorites. Oh, oh my god. Thank you. thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. What? Loving and Letting Go, my favorite. Also, oh, thank you. Tail yeah, End. We've... That's probably my top one. Tail end. Oh, sweet, yeah. sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh. Did you did you have a favorite song? Um, I personally like um the second song that's fully instrumental called Lady mm. Papaya. Mm. Um, it's 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 um I sampled this old Thai Molam 70s like um Thai funk song. That I always thought like I'd love to do something with it. Like when I first found it like four or five years ago. And then I finally did. And 
it's 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 the most fun to play live for me you see mm. why to come to the show that song yeah. mm, yes we yeah. both see why yes <laughs> i'm so excited i was just gonna say that like you mentioning about it in like an instrumental sense i'll be like this will be like perfect for live and then you're like it will change your world your real <laughs> life basically <laughs> yeah perhaps maybe we'll see yeah <laughs> I think the two of us can definitely agree that your discography as a whole evokes such a calming listening experience. Is that right, Lisha? Thank you. Agree. Um, I don't think this can be replicated by anyone else. And like your vocals, oh, amazing. Chef's kiss. Thank you so much. Thank you. With how fans like us listen to your music for that healing moment, do you personally have like your own activity that you like to do to calm yourself during any? stressful moments in life yeah um I was in a car accident like um April of last year it was pretty serious and I thought my life would change forever like I thought like I could not be playing music anymore Mm -hmm. um and yeah since then I've gotten a dog (laughs) my life is very my life is a lot better because of it Mm because um it's taught me to kind of really take care of something truly not just like put myself first um, for the very first time in my life, truly. And um, getting a dog, it's kind of like, yeah, it's incredibly calming for me to just to be around him and take him out for a walk and just take him to the vet. Like, very dad things. So I think I'm becoming an uncle. Of the <laughs> yeah, and um, other than that, I play I play games. Like, I play lots of video games and I um, I play football. It's just a very general, like, guy thing. <laughs> yeah, that's me, yeah. What is your dog's um, name? Uh, it's called Boba. He's a Dalmatian, oh, yeah, eight months that's old. That's so cute. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I-, I mentioned this to Lee one time before, but I feel like I don't know why a lot of like Asian dog owners the the names are usually associated with like a food or drink item. Uh, and I'm uh, like, my theory will continue to be proven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was Milo. it like boba, like Milo or something like that? Oh, I love Milo. <laughs> that's kind of true, but like boba because he's a Dalmatian, he's got spots. Yeah, that no makes sense. That and that's boba, so boba cute. is like a in Thai is like a word as well. So I was like, ah, oh, I thought Genius. it all out. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. really true about like the food thing because my dog's name is Tofu as well. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Me with the no dog because I live in an apartment life. But oh. <laughs> okay. Oh. So but that's really sweet though to hear. And it's just, I, I don't know. I always find it very nice to hear like sometimes an artist like kind of like, what do they do like downtime wise and just like having like a healing moment. It's very, yeah. it's very nice to hear. Yeah. And I guess it's for like, Moving more into like life related sort of questions, something that I think uh, Lee mentioned earlier and um, that we both like very strongly relate to as like your story as like an artist in general is the whole like upbringing, like being born in Thailand and then obviously moving up and then spending like a good portion of your growing up like days in New Zealand and Mm -hmm. then going back to Thailand when you were um, 18 from my knowledge. Yeah. Kind of, or rather, yeah. 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 And very, again, <laughs> Lee mentioned, but it was like a very relatable like story moment, I think, for both me and myself, and I'm sure like for listeners who are tuning in as well. And mm-hmm. a very common question, at least like personally, we get to like get asked in like day-to-day life is just people always being like, oh, do you ever think about like, what would your life be if you never moved, if you never like went to these places? And like, do, do you? 
ever think about it yourself? Like kind of where you your life would have been if you like never mm. if you never like moved to like a certain country or like just I don't know. Um, I never really I used to give this a lot more thought back in mm. the day, but like now I'm just kinda like, yeah, it is what it is. Like you know? <laughs> I, I don't think I could have affected my 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 mom's choice to move back mm-hmm. in the day. If she thought she did what was best for us. And I agree, like um I don't see my life turning out any different differently than than how it was or how it is now. Yeah, yeah. Um I'm happy that I gotta see and experience lots of like perspectives and cultures mm. growing up and um mm-hmm. not not to talk myself out but I think it gave me like a quite an open mind and like it made me it taught me a lot of patience to be calm with people who are different mm-hmm. or like who are from different backgrounds and try to understand rather than argue straight away with stuff you don't agree with so I I appreciate that part of growing up in a different culture a lot mm-hmm. yeah no, that's like very. It's like a very nice sentiment to hear because I think a lot of like, especially, um, if if you're like if you're particularly much younger, sometimes you always just like have that mindset like, oh, what if like, uh, I should have just like like I wish my parents ever brought me here. I should just like stay here and blah blah, blah all that stuff. So it's like, it's just really nice to hear again from like your perspective as like obviously now in your twenties and stuff and like mm-hmm. having lived through um that experience and being very like appreciative of like every single time and like kind of living in the moment in the present it's very like mm. nice uh sentiment to have and oh <laughs> it's just very relatable <laughs> and i guess along the lines of like life and all that stuff um you are currently again as i mentioned in like your 20s and stuff and mm. i think um something that's very interesting uh that i was just like very curious about it's just like obviously you've gained a lot of like um, incredible like achievements and like collaborations with like artists across the globe and again have like gained such a very well-loved fan base across the globe throughout like your 20s and just thinking with like all of these um, stuff that have impacted in your young adults I would say time um, how do you think it has like I don't know impacted you as a person and along those lines it might be a little okay. bit deep <laughs> Oh, like when when my stuff first blew up, I was pretty um happy for like the first six months, but then I I guess I spent the next couple of years like in panic mode because like I I wasn't I I don't think I was ever prepared for it like truly like I know I know I love making music I know I love playing music that's for sure but like when once you get like a following and there's like external pressure from like touring or like agencies and stuff it does get heavy and you do overthink and I spent a lot of time kind of just like working on myself, my expectations, my own self-perception as well. And um, COVID was really shitty. Like, oh, no. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. No. I mean, you're saying, like, the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. COVID was really bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, COVID was really bad. But I'm so grateful that it gave my life, like, a true pause. And um, I had nothing but, like, time to just be myself and reconnect myself to, like, um the passion that I have for like making stuff and yeah I I came out the other end a lot better like a lot more like mentally healthier physically as well so yeah to to gain a following in your 20s can be quite overwhelming Mm. for a lot of people and for me definitely but um Mm. if you give yourself a lot of time and always remind yourself why you started I think you'll be all right yeah 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. like what you mentioned right at the beginning of the interview, you're doing pretty pretty well at the moment. Like the, oh. <laughs> I guess it's just like really nice to just hear again this whole like journey and stuff, and then now you coming out of the other end, having more like of an understanding of yourself, yeah. and mm-hmm. and now again you're touring like across like Asia, Oceania. It is like yeah, yeah, yeah. it is insane, and just yeah. like uh from like I guess from another human being who enjoys their content to another. Um, just like very proud of like your growth and everything. It's very cool oh, to see. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you very much. Oh. So as we near the end of our interview, we have one last question, which is where can our listeners find you? Where it's most convenient for you, I guess. Like um, you can go on <laughs> Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, um, or any local like um, sort of thing that you use. But if you want to follow more, I guess, more insights into what I do, like who I am, just quite quite strange to picture like that. Um, <laughs> go on my Instagram, Paul Vipperator, or like Facebook. There's some stuff that I might find some relief watching me jam, or like be with my dog, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you that yeah. that is per- perfect pitching. You you yeah. have a <laughs> you have a career in business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, check me out. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, thank you so much for joining our little interview here on Asian Foundation on Sin with myself and Lee. And yeah, uh, thank, you. thank you for having me, guys. Thank you so much. I'll see you guys in Melbourne. Yeah. Yes. This is Asian Pop Nation. You guys just heard Hosue by Bieli Stocks, and they are a two piece band from Tokyo. And before that, you guys heard Bad by Wave to Earth. It is from their new album, 0.1 Flaws and All. And before that, you guys heard Healing House by From Before It, which is from his new album, The Grenjay Palace. Now, recently, us here at APN have gone through a bit of a movie marathon. We watched Zuzume no Tojimari and the Super Mario Bros. movie in one day, which was quite interesting. And all of us had some thoughts about it, so we would like to share those with you. Okay, peeps, are you sitting down for this one? Um, <laughs> we are going to be chatting about some movies. It's been a very movie-heavy week here at Asian Pop Nation, kicking it off with uh, the latest film from Makoto Shinkai of Your Name and Weathering With You fame, and that is Suzume no Tojimari, or Suzume. So it's a modern action-adventure road story where the 17-year-old high school girl, Suzume, helps this mysterious young man who, for later discussion, is, I believe, 21 years old. Um, And he's going around Japan closing doors from this other world on the other side. Um, And it's releasing these disasters all over Japan. So she needs to help him pretty much save the world and save Japan. And I believe Jesse, Leisha, Lee, and myself had... Going to see this movie. What were your thoughts? What did we think about it? What were some of the things that we thought, huh, that's interesting? Um, <laughs> so he becomes a chair, but every time he would run as a chair, it was so funny. Like I couldn't stop cracking up. I felt I felt really bad, but it was like so funny because he was like doing this, but three three, three legs. But yeah, I really liked the movie considering. Um, I did not like Weathering With You. I sort of had like lower expectations for this movie, but it really just went very nice, very good movie. 
does the movie make sense? Is there a reason why he's a chair? Is there like a symbolic reason? <laughs> there, there is a reason. Yeah, yeah. It was like a curse. It also spurred a lot of like, can I stand on you and sit on you? Um, sort she of covered. Wow. Zenia went. <laughs> oh, she doesn't. Ah, oh, sorry. That's the no issue consent. here. There was yes. no consent. Zenia went she straight into. Ethan, <laughs> you should just read all the letterbox reviews. <laughs> You'll get the gist of what people took away from it. <laughs> Every time Lee would giggle over anything this chair would do. I on the side will also be giggling by her side the entire time. It's like, um, there's something about this movie that I really like is like, well, one, it has like this very comical element I was not expecting, just giggling over a chair who is the main lead, but also that I guess they were able to balance that with like very quite intense themes about like natural disasters uh, and things, which again, if you know a little bit about Japan, okay, I don't know. This is where I'm going to need Xenia to help me out a little bit. Cause I think I remembered after we finished watching it, you mentioned that the film specifically is like, I don't know, this film specifically was talking about a specific type of, um, natural disaster that happened in Japan, question mark? Yes, the March 11 earthquake. Um, so that was kind of the climax of the movie is um, the the two go to the site where, or the, the area that was affected by the earthquake. And there's a lot of, so, um, I guess, implied messaging about how this monster that they're trying to prevent from coming out of this alternate universe is, is the thing that causes these disasters to hit Japan. Um, and one thing I read in an interview after watching the movie with the director, Makoto Shinkai, was, you know, it's an interesting choice to make it not about fighting a monster, but about trying to close a door. Mm -hmm. And it, he was explaining how it's meant to be like a metaphor for dealing with grief from these uh, incidents in Japanese history is about trying to let go of that past or trying to remember the good times and not hold on to the tragedy for too long. Um, but still remember, I guess, what we can do differently next time, which I thought was an interesting, cause you know, uh, when the, when they close the door, they have to think of all the people that lived in that place yeah, and all of the memories so that they can actually let go. So I thought that was an interesting metaphor, um, for the whole door shutting thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Did you think he like kind of executed what he was I going think for? So. Well? I feel like this one leaned that it was a, what, the movie of the three that leaned heaviest into it. Yeah. Like it actually mentioned a specific event, whereas your name was just like a meteor that's going to hit this town. Weathering with you was just this girl could, that could control when it rained. Um, this one was like, this is an actual incident in Japanese history. Pay attention, <laughs> kind of. So the kind of story, but in it was disguised in this nice like road trip adventure as they explore Japan and meet some characters along the way that help them on their journey of closing doors. So yeah, it was it was cute. In even though the ending was like, whoa, this is kind of sad. <laughs> um, but Jesse, yes, what were your some of the take uh, some of the takeaways you got? I want to reel it back just a little bit. When I went into this movie, one of my friends who already watched it before me 
she gave me a very simple review. She was like, oh, the music and the animation is top tier. The story was kind of mid. So I went into it not expecting too much. But actually, the story surprised me in terms of like, there was a story. It made sense <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> and like, other than like a few areas where I felt like they could have gone into a bit more depth and like explain things more for the most part the story made sense yeah Yeah, you could forgive it yeah and then i also really liked how they depicted like the various relationships between the people that helped suzume specifically throughout her journey i think one thing we wanted uh we were talking about was the age gap between the two leads (laughs) it's a bit yikes um Suzume is still in high school, and I think she's like 16 or 17. And that guy, apparently, according to the movie, he's probably about 22, considering he did finish a course in uni that was about four years long. So it's a bit iffy, considering that she's still kind of underage. Like, not kiss or anything. Yeah, yeah. Kiss. Oh, oh, there's, there's, like, there's no, like, I don't think there's any, like, proper kissing or, like, hugging even. They hugged, yeah. They did hug. The they did hug. It was like maybe it was a brotherly sisterly kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I think someone like her mom. I mean, her auntie said like, "Oh, this is for the guy that you like, right?" And then she just like blushes, but he never ever says like, "Oh yeah, I like this this minor." But yeah, I think it's implied like he wants to say it, but he gets interrupted at yeah. some points. I did know this film. I did describe. I did call this film the chair movie for a long time. <laughs> I didn't even call it actually. It's not a door movie, it's a chair movie. (laughs) Furniture. Well, speaking of movies with great animation and music, and we watched a very, very big, very popular movie, the Super Mario Bros. movie, which is an amazing collaboration between Illumination um, and Nintendo. There's a lot of reports throughout, like even on the internet, about people who have booked out cinemas um and like all these kids are coming back to watch the movies and stuff which is true because when we went to watch it it was also fully booked um i will say that on the scale of fun it's pretty fun to watch but don't think too deeply about the storyline uh it was it was very much focused around like the nostalgia aspect of it like they were bringing up a lot of like familiar characters and like things you would see in like the games and things like that before Leisha, before Leisha says anything, I do want to mention that before the movie started, because I was aware that the cinema was booked out, um, I had I had some apprehensions that there would be a lot of kids and they would be talking, which is fine because kids talk in a movie and it is a movie for kids. But like, you know, I felt like it might get annoying. I felt like people would be talking too much in the movie. Um, in the cinema, there was like pretty much all adults except for like this one family in front of us and the kids spoke up maybe twice and the mom was like Shh, like trying to hush the kids and I felt so bad because the kid was honestly fine. Everyone else was talking so much. Which what was there to reaction. talk about though? What was happening? It was like the references, like when we're like, oh my God, it's the Mario Kart upgrade from, you know, <laughs> Mario Kart 7 and oh my God, the wheels turn and now they levitate like in Mario Kart 8. When a certain character had a bike. <laughs> would you like to <laughs> defend yeah, yourself yeah okay this comes from someone who plays the mario games and stuff like that so for me i guess i am the target demographic for every reference under the sun 
Yeah, I can't defend myself. It is true. Um, charge me. Guilty as charged. Um, I guess, like, as a movie, I also agree with Jesse that I think on the fun meter, it is, like, I think it's so fun to go watch with, like, a group of friends and, like, just, I don't know, sit back, relax, turn off your brain. The the music is really good as well. I like the super, um, the themes and melodies. I thought that was really cool. And I like that Brian Tyler, who can, who composed the soundtrack for the movie incorporated a lot of those iconic moments separate to the music composition the music supervision was really bad because they just chucked in a lot of pop songs that were like the most generic things i've ever heard like they had like a heart take on me and um mr blue sky they had like a lot of just like the most generic movies movie songs that they would have and they had no like there was no theme, there was no correlation between anything. And I felt that that really detracted from, you know, what is otherwise a 10 out of 10 movie. Um, did it really detract though? Like, did it really, did the did the few, two songs that they played that were popular songs really songs. detract from your entire <laughs> movie? Bring it down from an eight to a five? I don't know. I, I just thought that's really annoying. I know there is a, there is absolutely a way where they can make that work. Like when you look at like the Guardians of the Galaxy or... um baby driver or um <laughs> like like those movies that have like a very common theme it said baby driver theme. with like such depression yeah like i agree like uh what did they play they played mr blue sky by electric light orchestra for like uh-huh. a waking up and getting out of bed sequence which is like the yeah. number one most used song for that sort of sequence now i think contrary to what everyone else has said there is like they did try to do more character arcs than we were expecting. They just weren't very good. But I think to its credit, it really does lend into the Asian experience of having your parents be disappointed in you um, when you start a creative venture, which apparently in this case is setting up a plumbing business, which is... I know Tracy especially couldn't take any of that seriously because literally whenever there's a character moment where like something sentimental goes on, she's just like, wow, this is the funniest thing ever. And she'll just like laugh in the middle of a quiet room. I mean, like you can't be sad. It's like, it's, it's like Mario being like, I always wanted to impress my father. <laughs> it's just, you can't, you can't take it seriously. <laughs> what an it's impression. Like, <laughs> it's like the most perfunctory, like... <laughs> Oh, we're gonna put pathos into this somehow, but like you forget to mention that this is the Mario movie, and it is about Mario the plumber. Trying to insert like any sort of angst in a movie like this is just hilarious to me. <laughs> um, but to its credit, I do think the the relationship dynamic between Luigi and Mario was really good. Um, you know those character moments when Mario is doubting himself and he has like flashbacks where he thinks about his time with his brother. I thought that was quite cute. I don't know. I don't think anyone would agree with that, but... If you are interested in watching Seafood Marivers or Suzume or you have your own two cents and you want to let us know, um, just, I don't know, hit us up. <laughs> uh, Asian Pop Nation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And yeah, we're eager to hear your Luigi X um, Bowser comments and chair jokes we are back here at asian pop nation you guys just heard the fifth spring by meaningful stone and before that you guys heard missing missing by kiko and even more before that you guys heard a soundtrack from zuzume which is also called zuzume by radwimps and talker now 
Some of our members here at APN have also gone to see the recent instalment of John Wick, which is John Wick 4, and they will be talking a bit more about that. So, during our little break that we had last week, um, a lot of our members actually started watching different movies and TV shows. So, the first one that we'll talk about today is John Wick 4 which is about John Wick, obviously, um, who has uncovered a path to defeating the high table. But before he can earn his freedom, Wick must face off against a new enemy with powerful alliances across the globe and forces that turn old friends into foes. And the reason that this is related to Asian pop nation and Asian culture is because Donnie Yen and Rina Sawayama are both in this movie. So. Uh, who who watched it? Leisha, Zenya, and Tracy. What did you guys think of John Wick Four? Firstly, we should probably talk about. I just want to ask, what is the high table for listeners who haven't watched John Wick? They might be confused. The boss that says John Wick can't leave. <laughs> True. Oh, sorry. That that was it. That's really it. That was it. Okay. Oh, well, no, no, like, no, no, no. It's I'm, like I'm, a group of people oh. who are high above like the very top of this underground assassin network um and they pretty much dictate who can or cannot leave how the whole world works and they say john wick cannot leave because he's pretty much dragged himself back into this assassin business and in the only way he can get out is to duel with this dude um this is my first john wick film i've watched and it's the fourth one. Do not judge me. Um, I'm just a very big Rena fan, and this is her like film debut. So I just really wanted to see, like, ooh, like, what is she about to do? And I mean, firstly, she killed it, like, full stop in general. I and that's not me being like, oh my god, biggest fan of her. Of course, I'm gonna say she was amazing, type of thing. Genuinely, her performance was really good. Um, her like, hmm. Because I'm just going to mention Zenia because Zenia and I did watch this together between the two of us. But uh, in the... Okay, actually, never mind, never mind. I lost my train of thought. But anyways, um... <laughs> this is the best. I apologize. I... It's like when me and Zenia talked about it with each other, we had so much things to say side by side. And now I'm like, I don't remember anything. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, Rena was really good. I think the moments when she was on the screen were some of the only parts where I felt, like, emotionally engaged with the movie. Oh. Um, A lot of the movie, I think it's very fitting when, Ethan, you said something to the effect of speaking of movies that are very beautiful but have no substance to their plots. I think this movie can be described that as well. Like, the plot is there, but it's mainly a vehicle for various cool-ass action scenes. Uh, between various assassins, including Don Wick, Keanu Reeves, or Donnie Yen. So, Rina doesn't, well, she does fight a little bit, but her, she's mainly there as a sort of like emotional device, emotional sort of anchor uh, or, or motivation, I think, to some of the characters. Um, but I think she did really well. She definitely held her own. She wasn't like, she didn't stand out in like a, oh my God, she definitely kind of like, she like definitely held her own with all these other really established actors. I feel like the Asians in this story were the emotional core. 
Yes, I agree. <laughs> With Donnie I Yen. Love Donnie Yen's character as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I agree, Tracy. There is a definitely the story is like a vehicle for the action, but I feel like the story out of the four John Wick films, aside from the first one, this is the only time I was reinvested in the story because I can't really remember. I'm not sure, Lee, do you remember much of two and three? I don't really remember. Much. I no, I remember one and two more than three, so yeah. So yeah. the first one, you know, uh, for spoiler alert, spoiler alert, it's all because you know. John Wick's dog is killed, his car is stolen. There's that kind of the story everyone remembers because of how ridiculous it is. I think this one was just memorable in the sense that there was a bit more emotion. I think it was now the climax of the series. It was high stakes. He wants to leave. Everyone's trying to kill him. There's these new or these old friends who now have this emotional stake in trying to kill John. There's like, or kill each other. So there's a lot more there, I feel. And the action helped kind of elevate that emotion rather than just be like, oh, cool, another action sequence, this time with a new weapon or <laughs> this time a new obstacle. So, yeah. How did you feel about the way they incorporated different countries and different settings into <laughs> the movie? Like the Japanese scenes literally take place in like a, I do know, like a Japanese museum that is in a hotel and so they're fighting amongst all these like fans and like robes and like samurai boards and nunchucks katanas yeah, yeah. And there's a random pair of nunchucks in a display case that gets like uh smashed open and he uses them to fight like at first because that was i think the first scene that was set in like an obviously foreign country i was like oh uh, i'm doing this because it's japan and like it's like weirdly fetishistic but then they had scenes in like Paris um, and in Berlin and in Berlin it's literally like they have a fight in like a Berlin nightclub and in Paris they literally have a fight at the Arc de Triomphe so they literally do this with all the settings like they pick like the most sort of stereotypical ones of that country and just be like yeah he has a fight or uh, where like the main women. villain is standing in this stable where all of these women are like jousting each other on horses and <laughs> yeah it's just it has this music video sense to it like they they have all this thing because it looks cool and not because it makes any sense which is fine like it is a really visually stunning movie but it's very good if you just switch your brain off and don't think about it too much I think Leisha and I, when we were watching it, we were commenting about how, like, ooh, wow, the cherry blossoms are falling as John Wick is standing there. It's like, <laughs> can you guess we're in Japan? Nah, nah, you can't tell. There you go. <laughs> oh, and a katana. But I think that's a whole aesthetic. I think it's that heightened sense of each place. And I still have the soundtrack that they, the song that they played um, in the Berlin nightclub on repeat on my Spotify playlist because I really like that stuff. It's so good. Like, Xenia (laughs) messaged me afterwards being like, yo, because when we were watching the movie and then they got into that particular scene, me and Xenia were, like, bopping our head. We're like, oh, this this beat's really good. And then afterwards, she was just like, okay. And then afterwards, she was just like, my brain. Uh, Actually, maybe I should not talk. Let's just do that. (laughs) Sorry. Yes, 
I love the Berlin nightclub scene because I was just watching all the background extras, like <laughs> just still dancing. Yeah, they were either like 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 dancing, like literally being like five meters away from a, a brutal fight and just like dancing randomly, or they were just like, oh my god, and like trying to act like scared, but they act like they're background extras, so they can't really act. So it was really entertaining just to watch them as well. Well, those were our thoughts on John Wick Four. If you have any thoughts about John Wick Four. Feel free to message us on our socials at Asian Pop Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, it was a cool movie. We definitely recommend it if you like action movies and or like Rina Sawayama or Donnie Yen or Keanu Reeves. Um, cool. See you in the next segment. This is Asian Pop Nation here on Sin. You guys just heard Prince Charming by Mamang. And before that, you guys heard "Optimist" by Juni featuring Blaze. And before that, you guys heard "Getaway" by Squid the Kid featuring Infusia and Nesh. Now, continuing on with the trend, this trend of reviewing movies and TV shows, the next segment will be a compilation of all of those and the rest of what we watched over this one week break. But we will be talking about Pathan, which is a Bollywood movie, and Business Proposal, which is a K drama. And we will also be talking about Call Me Chihiro, which is a Japanese slice of life movie. We were talking about all the different movies and shows that we watched. So this is another action movie that me and Lisha watched. It's the Indian movie Padan. Basically, the movie is very similar to another movie called Egg the Tiger, which is with Suman Khan. But this movie is with Shahrukh Khan, so it's more popular, I guess. So basically, the movie is about an Indian spy that tries to stop this villain that is spreading this deadly disease. And on his mission, he finds this Pakistani spy called Rubina. I have a lot to say about her, but how did you find the movie, Lisha? Um, basically, I think Alushma kind of nailed it on the head that the plot it is quite like simple. I think if you're gonna watch the film, it is not gonna be like super complex, make you think type of thing. Like Alushma mentioned, a lot of people went watching this, including myself actually, went to watch this for the purpose that Shahrukh Khan was gonna be in this film. From what I've heard. A lot of people say that this was kind of like his big return on the big screen and stuff like that, and it wasn't gonna be in a pure like romance film. So a lot of people were like, "Ooh, like what's about to go on?" And then later you see like Deepika Padukone, who again plays that spy character named Rubina, was also gonna be in it. And these two have starred in romance films before in the past, and people were like, "Oh." They're gonna do action, and then the main villain John Abraham also gonna be in it. Everyone's like, "Oh my god!" So basically, a lot of like intrigue because you have all these actors that a lot of people really like and have not seen them all together in like a quote unquote purely action film. So that's like where the hype stands from, including for myself. I went to watch this because haha, I love all these people. Um, and yeah, I would say okay, the CGI for this film is kind of bonkers. <laughs> I am still shocked, even like rethinking about it. Basically, that's one of the reason why my mom didn't like the movie. And whoever she would like tell that she watched the movie, she's like, "Oh my god, it's such a bad movie!" Like the CGI. I'm <laughs> like, that's how most Indian action movies are. Like, it's nothing surprising. I know that it was a bit too much. Yeah, like, I what happened to gravity and all that stuff. But still, most people went there for the actors, and I feel like Deepika and Shahrukh Khan—they have such a good on-screen chemistry and like behind the scene too. Mm. Also, John Ibrahim looks so good in that. He's、movie. so 
not to have a moment here on APN, but whoa, why did I think his like entrance shot in the film was so much more dramatic and better than Shah Rukh Khan's? Oh the, my god! The background music was so so good. I loved it. Like it built on the suspense in the movie, and I really loved the soundtrack of it. I think John Abraham just like I don't know. He's like he did slave. Like his role in that was kind of wild, and I think. I guess before we move on to like all the other shows, you mentioned as well that you have a lot to say about the Pico's character, Rubina. Yes. yes. The thing is, whenever there's a Pakistani character in an Indian movie, there's always like a thought in the back, like, oh, is it like the right like representation? Mm. And this character, first of all, the name—it's so old-fashioned. I doubt nobody in Pakistan, except for one or two person, would have this name. Second of all. You're showing her as Pakistani, so she's probably Muslim.、Mm-hmm. And then they have the song "Beisharam" and the clothing and all that stuff. It's so like non-Muslim, right? So then in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe she's Pakistani but not Muslim. And then there's a scene where Shah Rukh Khan is talking about his backstory and how he got the name Patan. And then she goes, "Mashallah," which is kind of like a way to praise people. And then every single person in that cinema started laughing on that, even though it wasn't really a joke. And everybody was like, "She was acting so non-Muslim," and then she says that, and it's just like <laughs> not aligning with everything. I don't know her character was not very Pakistani. Didn't like the beginning of the film as well, kind of hinted to the whole like partition as well between like India and Pakistan, which I was like, oh. Now where did this come from? John Abraham's like entire character like thing is like he's been betrayed as like a soldier from India, and now he's like I'm now with the quote unquote bad guys of the film, which are just like everyday <laughs> Pakistani people. Literally,、oh. like there's only one movie where they actually show like the right representation of Pakistani, which is. Called Bajrangi Bhaijan. I don't know if you have seen that one, but it's where a Pakistani girl she accidentally goes to India, and then the guy tries to find her parents. And it's such a good movie, so cute. It has Salman Khan in it, and it's just such a good representation. I mean, of course, there's bad, bad Pakistani in it, but it's like the right representation.、Mm. There are also more stuff that you've watched as well. I think this one will be a bit of a jump from Indian films in general, but it's also one that you've seen as well. Um, yeah, I recently completed the Korean drama Business Proposal, and to tell a bit about what it is, it's about a girl named Shin Hari who goes on a blind date instead of her friend, and then she finds out that her date is her boss. And there's like this whole very cute, funny journey to like going into being, you know, couples. And I really liked it. Honestly, I wasn't expecting to be this like funny. I know, in the start, it just felt like there were going to be a lot of cliches, but there weren't, except for a few. And I feel like the whole drama was very comical. So it kind of did like made you feel, yeah, oh yeah, it's probably like adapted from a webtoon and stuff like that. I know that you read the webtoon, so you probably would know like. The main difference between them. Oh yes, I I did read the webtoon way back. Um, I was rereading it when Lee was watching the K drama at the time. This is proposal, and then we'll have moments where we're just talking to each other, and I'm being like, um, this did not happen. <laughs> it was just so interesting to see the difference. The webtoon has a lot of very dramatic. I would say quite cliche scenes that you would typically see in any sort of like webtoon K drama, like. 
oh my god May lead gets into an accident there's like all well, this whole moment and whatnot but then i think when lee was watching it that just flat out did not happen <laughs> i guess they were trying to make it a bit more like realistic not so dramatic because there's like so many k-dramas out there now they they want to be like you know different from the pack i don't know <laughs> yeah it was very light-hearted what are some other shows that other people watched um, yeah, avid listeners might remember from a few weeks back when me and JP were talking about that one A24 movie about two Korean adults who like found each other again after being sad that they separated when they were kids and how, you know, we like sad movies about romance and relationships that make us feel sad. Well, there's another movie that I recently watched on Netflix, um, which I wasn't aware was going to be that sad. To its credit, it's not a sad movie. It's very wholesome. Um, it's this movie on Netflix called Call Me Chihiro, which is based off a manga called Chihiro-san, I think. It's a slice of life movie, so it's very chill. It's about a former, how do, how do I say this with well, keeping it PG? It's a former service worker who moves to a beachside town in Japan and she or she she befriends all the people um in the town she's kind of like the friendly village person and she works in like a a small bento shop and she gives bentos to people and talks to them about the days it's it's very wholesome it's very um I I can't explain it because I watched it over a couple sittings because it is about just over two hours and it is quite a slow watch I think people who aren't interested in movies that don't have like a very definitive plot will probably find it boring because it doesn't really go anywhere but there is something really warm and comforting about the movie like if you stop watching and you check back in on it every now and then it feels like you're catching up with a friend but it's not like a friend that you like engage in like banter and like heavy conversation with it's like the kind of friend that you can just like sit next to and not really say anything but you feel a bit more comforting just because they're there it's very calming and very like romantic in the sense of like romantic about life and the people that you meet and yet even despite that the reason I think it's very sad is because there is a lot of like undertones of it being really lonely and just depressing like the whole idea that you can go out and meet so many people and be friends with everyone and yet you can still go home and just feel like you're so isolated from everyone there's a very pertinent theme in this movie I don't know if it's a spoiler it's just a theme that they talk about where one of the character mentions like how they see the world like everyone's like from a different planet and they're all aliens trapped in like human bodies and the whole idea is that none of us get each other because we're from different planets and that like if you're lucky maybe in your lifetime you might find one person or you know some other people who do come from the same planet as you because they do understand how you see the world and I I feel like that is such an interesting way to look at the world um because yeah like truth be told like a lot of people are lonely like it is a very like like hard thing to talk about and I think this movie I think it makes you feel like that is kind of just the experience of life and like there are so much going on that you you have to learn to appreciate like the little things in life like the wind in your hair or like the conversation you have with a stranger um anyway yeah I'm gonna stop talking now bye (laughs) oh that sounds really lovely like a lovely slice of life that JP definitely would like yeah JP's living the experience now so it's basically Um, live action JP movies Yeah, that's some of our thoughts on some of the movies we've watched recently. Um, hopefully it's inspired you to check some of these movies out. In the meantime, though, you can message us, as always, on Facebook, Instagram, at Asian Pop Nation. We are back here at Asian Pop Nation. You guys just heard Kitsch by Ive, which is from their first album, Ive, Ive. And before that, you guys heard The Milky Way by Cooing. And even more before that, you guys heard Perfume by NCT Dojejang. 
Now, unfortunately, it has come to the end of our show today. Uh, insert sad Naruto music in the background here. But yeah, you guys heard from me, Alicia, Lee, Tracy, Ethan, Alishva, and Zenya. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's installment of what APN watched in this coming, in the past week or so. Uh, we certainly did watch a very wide range of things. Um, and if you guys are interested or have watched any of those shows, do let us know on Asian Pop Nation across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, before we go, we will be playing a couple more songs for you guys, starting off with Daydreaming by Ryu Su Jong, which is from a former member of a now disbanded girl group, Lovelies. Thank you. 